Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton and it is Monday the 25th of September 2023. Today we are beginning our new podcast series titled True Freedom. True Freedom. And today's episode is titled What is the Only Voice God Cares About? For me, One of my favourite books in the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. It was written before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. It is rich in meaning and imagery, and perhaps one of the deepest books in the Bible, like Paul's letter to the Romans. Unlike Paul's letter to the Romans, the authorship of Hebrews is unknown. Recently I've been wondering how to proceed with Freedom Matters today. Over the last year, or less than a year, I've published through Hidden Road Publishing and Amazon eight books. I'm happy to talk about these. Uh, I also have been wondering whether I should go back and reflect on what I have written or go forward. One of the pieces of advice when you are listening to... um, podcast theory and and social media marketing and so on is that what you should do is go back to your old material rewrite it and represent it in a sense not reinventing the wheel but I don't agree with that I've published the books I recommend them freedom from fascism is God on America's side is Russia our enemy and Following Jesus When the Church Has Lost Its Way are all great books and they speak to different challenges and problems we face in life. They are books about faith and life and what it means to follow Jesus outside of the institutional church. So those books have been done. What I would like to do is go forward, like Paul, not looking behind, but going forward looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. But I keep coming back to Hebrews. When I was studying uh, for my ministry, a Master of Divinity uh, degree, my research paper was on Hebrews chapter 6, looking at those controversial verses about whether a Christian could fall away and what it meant. And those verses are very popular amongst Christians. Uh, Many believe that a A true Christian, someone who follows Jesus, can fall away, can give up their faith and not walk with God again. They believe that the pull away from God is stronger than God's pulling of us to himself. And I don't believe that. Their answer tells us a lot about how people view the power of God. God's power is limited to our choices we make about him. And that's not what I believe. In fact, God is the last person we talk about these days. Even in Christian circles, we're drowning in politics, in the culture war, and so on. Every day we are inundated with news and information about COVID hysteria, about the war in Ukraine, about Joe Biden's um, full cognitive decline, about Donald Trump, about other things. It's the culture war, it's the politics, and... This is taking a toll psychologically on ourselves, but also on our children and our grandchildren, our families and friends. 
So much so that we are replacing God with the world. We are replacing, we are in a sense betraying God by dethroning him uh, from our lives and replacing him with, in effect, with, with what is in effect the rubbish of the world. These days, if you have been around for a while, and, and many of you have, uh, we have been told we must support the voice, if you live in Australia, the voice to Parliament, which is this idea that um, the Constitution of Australia must be revised to include a voice to Parliament, uh, allowing Indigenous people to comment and reflect upon decisions made by government. And the view of the government is you must support the voice. If you don't, you're a racist, you're a bigot, or you're stupid, as one of the prominent Yes campaigners said recently. This is just another of these loyalty tests we have been presented with over the last few years. Do you remember when Trump was elected in 2016? You must hate Trump. Do you remember with COVID hysteria? You must hate the unvaccinated because they are selfish people. And do you remember when the conflict in the Ukraine um, exploded in February 2022, uh, an extension of a conflict that dates right back to 2014, we were told we must stand with Ukraine. You don't have a choice. This is ironic, isn't it? In a democracy, you must hate Trump, you must hate the unvaccinated, you must stand with Ukraine and hate Russia, you must support the voice. These, uh, these loyalty tests are indicative of a declining democracy and a distrust and suspicion towards the freedom of choice, the freedom of expression and the freedom of thinking. And we saw this with COVID hysteria in the church, where many churches in Australia were forced to close. In fact, most churches were forced to close. And ministers, priests and pastors were given the opportunity of applying for money to sweeten the deal, so to speak. And many of those priests, pastors and ministers supported openly vaccine policy, supported openly vaccine passports to protect, protect us from a virus that is still with us, in return for money, of course. Now many of these churches, which uh, willingly supported the government, are now very supportive of The Voice and will be supportive of climate change. And I think that was the deal. It was kind of a prid quo pro if you support us, we will support you. If you want your dead churches to stay open, do as you're told, say what we tell you, and for a time you will continue to receive funding from the government. In particular, this includes a panoply of tax exemptions, without which the church would die overnight. So instead of churches being upheld by God, they're being upheld by government money. But is this how God works? Is this it? Is God on the side of Ukraine? Is God on the side of climate change? Is God on the side of democracy? Is God on America's side? Is Russia our enemy? As I pointed out in my book, is Russia our enemy? God doesn't take sides in war. He is not on Ukraine's side. He's not on the side of the Azov battalion, which according to our media doesn't exist. He's not on the side of the right sector, which according to our government doesn't exist. He's not on the side 
of America. God does not reveal his will in these matters. What we do know is, as Jesus said to his disciples, that prior to his return, wars will exist. There will be wars and rumors of wars. In other words, wars will be there prior to the return of Jesus. Why do wars occur? Well, wars are a result of human sin. The principle is quite simple. We want it, so we take it. We want it, so we take it. That is human sin. James tells us in his letter, James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. God knows all of those who fall in war. He remembers where they lay. He honours them and remembers them. And he honours the day. But he's not on the side of Ukraine. He doesn't stand with Ukraine. He's not on the side of the uh, Western weapons manufacturers that are creating weapons of mass destruction, devising new ways of blowing people up. He's not on the side of the British Empire. He's not on the side of the American Empire. It's interesting, isn't it, that we have created a God that is on our side. And our God is not the God of the Scriptures, but the God made in our own image. In my book, Is God on America's Side?, I address the blasphemous notion that Americans, many Americans entertain, God bless America, God bless America, God bless America. Very few political leaders in history are impotent enough impudent enough, arrogant enough, presumptuous enough to even dare invoke the name of God. That God is on our side. Very few ever do, but not so America. God is on our side. God bless America. God bless America. Very, very dangerous because God is not on their side. God does not promise what he does not promise. And yet many Christians live in those ambitions Ambiguous, uh, that ambiguous fear uh, in the areas uh, concerning the promises that God has not given to us. God does not promise an insight into what political system he prefers. Jesus is not on the side of our efforts to rein in climate change. He's not a, he doesn't believe in democracy. Jesus isn't a card-carrying member of the Republican Party. We have created God not only in our image, but we have enlisted him. We have enlisted him to pursue our selfish, sinful agendas. In the letter to the Hebrews, the author writes these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. In the past, he's talking about the prophets. These were men of no real importance. They were called by God. 
um, to reveal the character, the will, and the purpose of God. There were in the Hebrew Bible a multiplicity of voices. It was not the voice of angels, or the voice of God even, but these men, the prophets, spoke the words of God. Men called by God to deliver the word of God through their frailty and their weakness and their troubles. For me, the most powerful prophet was Jeremiah, who spoke of the fall of Jerusalem. He was a man who devoted his entire life to a message nobody believed in. He devoted his entire life to a message no one really paid any attention to. And yet, he was right. He said that Jerusalem would fall, and he pointed to the need for repentance, the need to turn back to God, but no one paid him a scrap of attention. But he kept with his message for 40 years, over 40 years, his entire life, really. He kept proclaiming what he was convinced of was the words of God about the role of Israel, the fall of Israel as a state, and its exile uh, into captivity which is what happened, which was a, a cataclysmic, catastrophic event in the history of the people of Israel. In many times, in many ways, God spoke in the past. But this all changed with the arrival of Jesus in these last days. It's interesting what this means. In these last days... The writer to the Hebrews is writing in the first century AD, probably before AD 70, in the original version at least, in these last days. So in the first century, the author to the Hebrews believed they were the last days, in these last days. So we live in the last days. The last 2,000 years have been the last days. The last days do not concern what happens with the rise of the Antichrist and the United Nations and all those bizarre stories that were created and invented by Americans in the 1980s about the, the, the rise of the beast and all that sort of thing where it's all about God's enemies or America's enemies and it fights in the UN or blah, 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 blah. Complete and utter nonsense. These are the last days. In these last days... Throughout this period, in other words, the voice of God has spoken to us. The voice of God has come to us and the voice of God is with us. The message is over. It has been delivered. God does not continue to speak because he has spoken. God does not continue to utter because he's already uttered. And we ignore. And we say, oh, that's interesting. We're not interested in Jesus. We're interested in what God has to say to me today. We're interested in what God has to say to me and how I can, how God can help me in bettering my life, how God can make me in becoming more prosperous, how God can make me becoming more successful. But the message of God is over. It has been delivered. God has spoken through the Son. God has appointed the Son. He has given him his final position at the right hand of God. And God has made all things through him. Without the Son, there is no world. Without the Son, there is no hope. 
without the Son, there is no freedom. What does this mean for us today? Well, the only voice God is interested in, the only voice that God is promoting, the only voice that the Word testifies is the voice of the Son. The only voice that matters is the voice of Christ. His life, His actions, His identity, who conveys and lives out the purpose, the will, the intentions, and the character of God. See, God has spoken through the Son, and we say, oh, we're not interested. We want to hear about Joe Biden. He's dust. He's dust. He will go to nothing. We say we don't want to hear about we don't want to hear about Jesus. We don't hear about, we want to hear about Donald Trump. He's dust. He's dying. He'll go to dust. He'll go to nothing. He'll go the way of all mankind. We're not interested in that. We're not interested in Christ. We're not interested in the voice of God speaking to us through the Son. For many Christians today, Jesus Christ is just a footnote to the culture war. And then we have the disgraceful, the disgraceful attitude of the Presbyterian Church I read about today or yesterday where they're banning the welcome to country, which is a voluntary decision to uh, announce um, by uh, announce. Uh, in an organizational context, that the land upon which the church is, is, uh, has been built um, actually uh, is the, the land of a particular indigenous community group. The welcome to country has come, um, I guess, organically as a way of acknowledging the, the existence of indigenous groups uh, that exist in various parts of Australia. And the welcome to country is a very controversial thing it's an interesting thing uh, for those who are involved in organizations and those who have heard welcomes the country. Sometimes they're, they're delivered well, sometimes they're delivered with authenticity, sometimes they're delivered uh, superficially. Certainly um, many organizations do not give it the kind of respect they probably should. Others go on for too long. I mean the same could be said for sermons. Same could be said for sermons. Most sermons you've heard in your life, no doubt, have been incredibly boring. Um, but the thing is that the church decided to make a stand on this, um, and this was really important to them. We ban this. We ban the void. The, we ban the um, welcome to country. You know, the problem with all this is, well, where's Jesus in this? He's not there. They don't care. What matters is the culture war. What matters to them is this culture war. We'll make an alliance with the pagans who believe in these things that we believe in. We're allied to them and we'll fight this culture war. Do these allies we've made bonds with believe in the Son? Of course they don't. They're not interested in the Son of God. They don't inter they're not interested in God. They don't care about the revelation of the Scriptures. The great tragedy of all of this is that Christians run away from the Son of God. They run to the culture war. They run to whatever issue uh, tickles their ears or tickles, their, um, tickles their, uh, their heart. The voice that God is interested in is the voice of the Son. He is interested in us knowing about his life, his actions, his identity, because Jesus conveys and lives out 
the purpose, the will, the intentions, and the character of God. What I tried to show in my book, Is Russia Our Enemy?, is that we were with Christ in the wilderness as we were with Christ on the cross. And just as he died, we died. And just as he was buried, we were buried. And just as he was raised from the dead, we too will be raised. In the same way, he stood for us against Diabolos and defeated Diabolos in our stead because we could not stand against him. Because yes, there is evil in the world. There is evil. And evil is not in the face of the indigenous people. Evil is not in the face of the Russians or the Ukrainians or the Americans. Evil is not in the face of flesh and blood. Evil is spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And what's interesting is that of all the books that I published, the one that sells the least is the one that talks about the only battle we fight in this world, which is a spiritual war against evil. Because what Christians want to do today is they want to make a list of all the people they hate. These are the people to blame. Gay people, transgender people, Russians, Americans, Trump, Biden. They make a list of all these people made in the image of God and for whom the Son of God came. There but for the grace of God go I, surely. Or are you too important and too great and too godly to deign to express the love of God to the same people as yourselves? God doesn't care about the indigenous voice to parliament. He doesn't care. He's not on the yes case and he's not on the no case. For God, what he cares about is what we think of Jesus Christ. The only voice that God is concerned with is is the voice of the Son and what we think of Jesus Christ. The rest is irrelevant. You see, God knows what happened in the past. He's not stupid. The church could cover it up, but he knows what happened. He knows about the genocide. He knows about the hypocrisy. He knows about the complicity of the Church of England. And it doesn't matter how many times that corrupt church votes yes, yes, yes. The blood of their victims is on their hands. And they worship in churches built on the bones and the blood of their victims. For centuries they did nothing to defend indigenous people. There is a reckoning expressed for the dead Anglican churches. You see it cried across the country. They're dying out. The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. And the church says, no, 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 we brought you colonization. We brought you the gospel. We brought you Jesus. No, they didn't. You brought them death, disease and misery. You stole their land, raped their women, and all your church buildings should be returned to the descendants of the people your ancestors murdered. But the churches hold on to their property tighter than they hold on to God and his son. You should read my book, Crooked River, or The Curse of Crooked River, my novel on early Australia. It's about a man who comes back to Australia searching for answers to the suicide of his brother. He goes to Golgong in 1872, which was the site of Australia's, one of Australia's last gold rushes. And what he finds is a cesspool, a complete cesspool of crime, villainy, violence, church hypocrisy, and 
a series of unsolved murders, um, which throws him really into a, uh, a story about early Australia, the role of Indigenous people, their suffering and how they, how they lived, as well as the role of the pastoralists um, and um, how towns were formed and created. It's a great book. I really, it's, it's my most popular novel, actually. But see how you feel at the end. It's not a book that promotes the voice or doesn't promote the voice. I try to show what it was like and what it was like to live in that world. See how you feel at the end of the book. And you might agree with me that it's too late to undo the evils of the past. They're there. The blood has been spilt. It soaks into the red earth. The murderers are all gone. They went to church and were blessed by the priests. And they went out hunting Aborigines for sport, killing them like kangaroos, or turning a blind eye to the widespread rape of Aboriginal women by upstanding Christian men. But our ancestors gave them clothes to wear, bitter memories and a sadness and despair that no amount of government money can extinguish. Walking with Aboriginal people today as equals, as one in Christ, is all we can do. And we should stop telling Aboriginal people how their misery, suffering and sadness was good for them. There's no such thing as the Christian perspective on the voice any more than there is a Christian perspective on the war in Ukraine. I remember many years ago there was an Australian politician who made a statement and he was asked, well, as a Christian, uh, why are you making this statement? He said, yes, I am a Christian, I follow Jesus. But my understanding of this issue flows from my belief in social democracy, not from the fact I'm a Christian, because the Bible doesn't have anything to say about this. I'm free to choose my political philosophy. And he's absolutely right. He is free to choose his political philosophy. The point of the voice, of course, is to divide Australia. It's another loyalty test. And its goal is to elevate the state and diminish the role of God in our lives. It's the government who will provide. It's the government who will look after us and all that nonsense. The voice is also about money and power. Politics always is. The voice is effectively a transfer of power from one group of people to another. That's it. A transfer of power, a transfer of money. Because in order to affect that power in a practical way, uh, vast sums of money uh, will be required and it creates a new form of bureaucracy. But in your conversations about the voice, where does Jesus fit in? Where does the Son fit in? Where does God fit in? In your conversations about the voice, tell them about the voice of God found in Jesus. Tell them that the voice is interesting. It's interesting, friends but nothing more. It's not important. It's not critical. It's not life-changing. What is critical is what people think of Jesus. That's critical. That's important. That's, that's crucial. It, the voice, that's interesting. A life without God and without the voice of God is just James 4. If you have a life without God and a life without the voice of God in your lives, your life is just James 4 and the principle of life of humanity. I want it, so I take it. I want it, so I take it. That's humanity. It belongs to me. I want it. I just take it. And that belief is a complete opposite of God. 
And that's what we saw in early Australia. These so-called Christians, they wanted it, so they took it. They wanted them dead, so they killed them. They wanted to rape the women, so they did it. And what did the church do? Nothing. I think enough said. So what does the Son have to say to us? What is he saying to us today? What does he want us to do? I believe that the heart of the Christian message is the message of freedom. That true freedom comes from God. That true freedom is a result of knowing God. Because the most important thing in life is to know God. And through knowing God, we can know ourselves and we can know each other. When I was in Russia, I met a uh, priest who was an important priest. And I asked him, um, what, is, what are the challenges facing the Orthodox uh, faith today? And the first thing he said, he said, we no longer fear government. And we no longer have a problem with government, or government doesn't have a problem with us. I thought, how remarkable. How incredible. From the days of Lenin and then Stalin and the Soviet Union days, the, the Christians were, were heavily persecuted. Many millions were killed for their faith in Christ. And you might say whatever you want to say about modern Russia, but here we have a society where the persecution of Christians is certainly not what it used to be. And yet today we have persecution, persecution, persecution of Christians, persecution through COVID hysteria, persecution through the voice, persecution through many other forms. And we are under attack um, because, uh, largely because Christians over the years have failed. Christians have failed to testify to Christ. Christians have instead implemented or promoted James 4. I want it, so I take it. And many Christians have only themselves to blame. The churches definitely have themselves to blame for their complicity uh, in the stolen generation, for their complicity in the child abuse scandals, for their complicity in church corruption, for their complicity in church abuse and toxic institutions, uh, and their, their uh, unbelievable lust for money. I want it, so I take it. It belongs to me. But we are called to something more than that. When I was in the country, there was an elderly lady who died while I was there, literally dropped dead, according to the ambulance officers who went to see her. She was there and she just literally died on the spot. But she was talking to me one day and she started patting the church building and she was stroking it like one would stroke a cat. He said to me, this is my church, my church, my church. No, that's not the church. Well, it is the church. But Christians are brought together by the blood of Christ. We are brought together by our identity in Jesus, whether we are rich or poor, tall or short, fat or thin, whether we come from whatever ethnicity in the world, whether we're indigenous or non-indigenous, whether we are from Australia or not from Australia, we are brought together by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who brings us together. It is Jesus who brings us together and it is Jesus who gives us freedom, true freedom. And that's what the letter to the Hebrews is about. And that is what the Bible is about. The Bible is about telling us that is through Christ we are free. 
we have true freedom. We can stand free even though the world around us is in oppression. Even though the world around us is trying to oppress us. Even though evil in the world is seeking to oppress us. Because evil exists and it opposes the work of God. And evil wants us to be obsessed with the culture war. Evil wants us to be obsessed with what Donald Trump is thinking, what Joe Biden is doing, what's happening in the Ukraine, what Putin is doing. Evil wants us to be obsessed with the culture war. The last thing evil wants us to do, the last thing Diabolus wants us to, to do is to think, to talk, to reflect upon the voice of God. And the voice of God is expressed through Jesus Christ, who lived among us, died, and rose again, so we might be children of God. And Jesus came to give us freedom, true freedom, for true freedom comes from God. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. <laughs>